0: Um, So we're going to do something just a little bit different than our our typical uh, message this morning. For about 99% of the year, all but two or three sermons probably a a year, we are anchored in a text. We've been working our way through Hebrews. We're nine chapters in over the last few months. We'll finish and be back in Hebrews beginning next week, but we're going to take a one-week hiatus um, out of Hebrews. And so, I'm not able to give you a text to really anchor in this morning. We're going to be jumping around far more than we typically do. Um, And we're going to do this um, because as of this week, we have entered the holiday season, right? And so, for the next six weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve, and Christmas and New Year's, New Year's Eve, we just kind of have holidays. And some of you are celebrating that. Like, you are so excited. It's finally gotten here. It's your favorite time of the year. Um, I'm looking at you, Brett, right? All right. Hey, we we just know it, right? All right. And then some of you, which I'm not going to call your name out here, right, are going, oh, it has begun, (laughs) right? And it's like the winter has entered, and you are not enthused, and you cannot wait for January the 2nd to be here, right? Um, and so, th- the next few weeks are going to have, most likely, for the-, the bulk of us, lots of family time, lots of um, time with friends, lots of food. There's going to be parties, both with people that you want to have a party with and some parties with people you probably don't want to have a party with, um, depending on um, what your work situation is currently like, um, and maybe some of your family, right? <laughs> um, we-, we don't have to get into specifics there, um, <laughs> Right. And, and so there's also a lot of emotions involved in this season, right, from from joy and enthusiasm and anticipation to also pain and, and, and loss and suffering as, as we think about those who aren't with us. Right. And, and so the, the holiday season just brings a punch in good ways and in hard ways. Um, it, it really doesn't leave anyone unscathed um, and, and that some of that is positive and some of it some of it isn't. And so the question I want us to, to wrestle with this morning is this, as believers, how do we approach the holidays? Um, and if we're called to honor God in all that we do, whether we are eating or drinking or in all that we do, how do we honor God through this holiday season? Um, because there's, there's really kind of two initial ways that this can happen. We can get caught up in the tidal wave that is our culture and, and kind of a consumer mindset of just, we just get washed along And it looks like everybody else and in every situation. Um, And so we get wrapped up in what our culture tells us the holidays should look like and should be. Um, The other end of the spectrum um, is this. And if you don't know, I live on Somerville. And people like to drive down Somerville really fast. Um, I think it's because, you know, there's like that median and it feels like it's safe. Like they have like bumper lanes and bowling or something. Um, Although there's been multiple wrecks in our yard, people still want to like drive really fast. And even though I'm not old yet, um, I feel like an old man sometimes. Like I just want to like raise my fist and like, or get my hose out and like spray cars as they're like flying down the street, right? If we're not careful, we can have that image of kind of the old angry dude out in his yard about the holidays, right? And, and we're the ones who are, you know, no one does it right anymore, or you should remember what it used to be, or you should remember Jesus in this. And so we turn to, and we rail against everything. And so we can be swept away by the tide of our culture or we can be the angry person that's like, man, you are like a a Scrooge, right? Or can we find some place in between, right, where where there's some tension because Jesus has called us to honor him in everything, including the holidays. Um, A couple weeks ago, we had a a wedding up here. um, And in the midst of it, something I try to say in most wedding messages is this. Hey, there's there's some weight and expectation upon a wedding, and often the ceremony is over before you know it. And after all these months or years of, of money being spent and energy being spent, and time, the wedding can be over like that. And we feel that expectation. And and what I try to to allow them to to hear is this: we're not we're not built for a wedding ceremony; we're built for a marriage, right? Like the the expectation is right. And it's good, but that one day cannot contain it. It's meant for decades of marriage. The holidays can have a similar expectation, right? That we need the certain song with the certain weather, with the certain dish, with the certain people present, right? And all these things coming together to, to pull off the, the quote unquote perfect holiday that we maybe have never actually obtained, but we think every year it's going to be the year, right? And it has this weight and expectation. And maybe you, you wake up on Thanksgiving. Or you go to bed on Thanksgiving or you wake up on Christmas morning and you're like, I think I missed it again this year. It didn't go like I hoped. And so how do we manage those expectations as believers? And so this morning what we're going to do is look at some practical ways um, to help avoiding falling into just our our rote, mindless rhythms that can happen as we just kind of fall in line and we do our thing again. How do we engage within some intentionality our hearts and our minds that we would be worshipers over the next six weeks in a way that would bring glory to jesus right and would bring satisfaction and enjoyment to our heart as we see him rightly so how do we do that We're going to look at three practical things this morning. But before we get into those three practical ones, the way that we're going to do this through the holiday. So whether it's Thanksgiving this week, whether it's Advent, the fact that we're celebrating Jesus coming through the month of December, or whether it's a new year that's quickly coming for us. We want to be a people who remember. Right. And so if, if you are familiar with the Old Testament at all, God is consistently asking his people to do certain things in order to remember his faithfulness, to remember the things that he has done for them, ways that he has ministered and rescued them, right? One, because we've been in Hebrews, is is the Exodus, right? That they celebrate the Passover, remembering, right, and and, and mimicking that night's meal with their sandals on their feet, right? With their staff in their hand, eating, right, bitter herbs, right? Remembering the bitterness of slavery. Like they're doing specific tasks, In that year, in and year out, to tell the same story, to remember that God intervened in their people when they were crying out and longing. Right there's other festivals that we can look through Scripture. One being right the, the the feast of booths, right, which was a reminder that they lived in the wilderness, and so that for a week they would go to Jerusalem and they would build these little like temporary tabernacles or booths and live in it. A reminder that God delivered and led them and took care of them and provided for them in the wilderness. Right. We could go through a whole list of festivals. Right. that we, we can remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why? Because it's a reminder that God is sovereign, that God is ultimate and that we're not. And so as we take a day off to rest every week or fail to do that. Right. We are saying some things about who we believe God to be and how much control we feel like we have to have. And so remembering who we are and who God is, is part of this. That as we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded in Luke 22 that as we take it, as often as we do, we do it in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us in his life, and his death, and his resurrection. We're doing it to remember something. Psalm 77, 10 says this. Sorry, not 10, verse 11 and 12. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old and I will ponder on all your work. And I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Deuteronomy 6 says, hey, I want you to do some things lest you forget, lest you're prone to forget. There's a reason why we now celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday, right? Rather than on Saturday, the Sabbath. It's because we're remembering the day that he walked out of the tomb, right? That he was alive again, confirming all that God had promised. All the promises were met in Jesus's resurrection, Right. So it's why we celebrate Easter. It's why in Romans eight, it tells us that creation itself groans, remembering what God had made in, in its perfection. And it's longing for a day where things will be set right. And so, church, we are as a people are called to remember. Right. And as we enter a season where we are, we're thinking about family, we're thinking about meals, we're thinking about memories that we are called then to also remember what the Lord has done and who he is. And this is a natural on-road, right, to this season for us to be a people who remember. But we don't want to just be a people who are remembering. We also want to be a people who are rightly reflecting God's image, right? So I'm giving you two R's. I don't ever do that, right? But maybe, right? So we want to remember and we want to rightly reflect. We want to, to carry God's image into all of these events, because it's not just that we're to remember what he's done, we're to remember that he has called us to be his people, to image him, right? So we are created in Genesis in his image. In Ephesians 5, 1, we're told to be imitators of God. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, hear this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image... From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so this idea is this. Is that we're to reflect the glory of God. And he is transforming us. And he is changing us from one degree to the next. It's just these incremental changes. We're a little more like Jesus. We're a little more like Jesus. Right? And so that we can remember what God has done. And we can reflect his character. And who he is to a watching world. And a waiting family. And so I want you to, to think in each of the three practical ways that we're going to look at. How do I remember? And how do I rightly reflect God's image? So the first one is this. Feasting. All right. It's an appropriate week for it. Right. Because come Thursday, we're going to feast. Right. For most of you this week, um, there's going to be a lot of eating involved. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Hopefully it's, it's good food right and so what are we how is feasting how is eating and all the food that's going to take place over the next six weeks how does that become a moment of worship right like how can thanksgiving be more than just a day of gluttony right and football it's because in in our feasting one we're remembering god's provision right that he has provided that he has given us what we need we're also remembering god's creativity right that is because here's the thing if I was to ask you what are you looking forward to this week for most of you besides some relationships it would be a specific dish right that someone's going to make right That there's some one that you're going to recreate that your grandmother made or it's one that your aunt's like, there's some dish that you're longing for that you're thinking of and in that right we're, we're, we're able to celebrate that God has given us taste and flavor and creativity Right. That we can enjoy these things and because he wants us to enjoy them and to be satisfied in them, in them, that he is a giver of good gifts. And so we are celebrating God's provision. We're also celebrating God's creativity and the fact that he ministers to us. Right. That we can we can talk about this in regards to the variety of, of landscapes there are. Right. Like that God has has awoken something in us. To to look at and to be satisfied and to see his goodness and his creativity. And so that can happen at a dinner table full of great dishes. right That can happen on a good vacation. That we are remembering God's provision. Another thing that we need to remember is this. That we've been invited to the table. And we've been invited to belong to a table that has more than food on it. A passage that we we go to often in Isaiah fifty five. Come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. The one who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Right. And so if you if you weren't paying close attention, you can be like, okay, this is a Thanksgiving passage, right? Come and eat and eat well and eat for free. And yet what Isaiah is writing is, listen, you have been invited to feast spiritually. You've been invited to a table that you couldn't pay for, to a table that you couldn't earn your way in, and you've been invited for free to eat and to recline and to delight yourselves in spiritual things. And so what we're remembering as we feast right, is that you have something to celebrate, right? There's a reason we're feasting. There's a reason we're celebrating. It's because God has rescued us, that he has made us his people and that he has given us a, a bounty of a of reward, a bounty of, of good benefits because he has put us at peace with God. He's given us hope. He's given us love. He's given us joy. He's given us access that he has done these things. And so we want to remember as we're feasting that he has given us. A spiritual feast that is far greater than whatever we're stuffing our face with. And not only are we remembering that, but we are looking forward. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Talks about there will be a day where we will have the marriage feast of the Lamb. Right? The marriage supper. Where we will sit with Jesus. Right? We will be his people, as Revelation 21 says. And he will be with us. And we will feast. We will eat at the table with Jesus for all eternity and so the best meal the best feast the most glorious spread that we could have with all the people that we love is simply an inkling of something better to come and so in that we can say as good as this is the better is coming and so we can look back that we've been invited to the table and we can look forward with hope and with anticipation that a better feast a better meal is coming and we're going to enjoy it with Jesus forever Right, because Jesus ate with sinners, right? He was called a sinner, a drunk, a glutton. And he invited us to the table, a place to belong, right? So if we think about the table, is your table a place to belong, right? So in the Middle East, um, mealtime is is different than than mealtime in the States, Right, because at mealtime in the Middle East, there's not as much silverware involved. Right, and so you're going to sit down at the table, and they're going to lay out a spread of food, of fruits and cheeses, and and typically a main course that's in one bowl with some bread. And you're going to all reach your hands and grab bread, whether it's a fish, or it's celta, or it's ah seed, right? And you're going to like rip, put your food, your, your bread in there, and you're going to take a bite, and you're going to put it in your mouth. And so is the person across from you, and the person next to you, and the person next to them. And so now as we're enjoying this meal together, it matters that you're at my table because I want to know where your hand has been, right? Right. So there's a level of belonging, a level of acceptance that matters here because I'm saying if you're going to touch my food, you belong here. If you're going to touch the food that my kid's going to put in his mouth, I'm accepting of you, right? The, The table is meant to be a place Of belonging of acceptance where we come together and we're saying, hey, we're in this together. And so if, if Jesus has called us to feast, if he has reminded us that he ate with sinners, if we have been invited to the table that we did not deserve to belong to. Right. That the table is the place where we are sharing stories of God's faithfulness. Right. Are we is our table reflecting this? Right? As we feast, are we being reminded that the reason we have been invited to the eternal table in heaven is because of the Lord's Supper, the table, right? Of Jesus' perfect life, his obedient death, his blood being spilt, his body being crucified, and his resurrection. That it's through the Lord's Supper that we now are going to sit in eternity with Jesus, feasting and celebrating and enjoying his victory, Right. And so now, as you sit at a table over the next six weeks, as you sit at a table at any day, but especially over the next six weeks. Right. Are you looking back at what brought you to the table? Are you looking forward to a better table? Right. It it brings worship and celebration to our minds. A second is this, and this one flows right out of feasting. Is hospitality. Romans twelve thirteen says that we should seek to show hospitality as the church. Psalm 68 tells us that, that God places um, like those who are alone in families. Right? That God cares about people who, are, who belong. That, that people would belong. And so as we think about our table, our literal feast this week, are we also having eyes to see people? who need a table to belong to a family to be a part of and not simply for that day but to be invited into a larger family a people who are rescued a people who are seen and known and so maybe the question that for you this is where it stops this morning is this is if, if i said who would you even consider inviting to feast with you and you're like i don't know right that, that i don't know I, I can't even begin to think in that regards then that should be a check in your spirit that maybe I'm not living on mission. Maybe I'm not pursuing those who don't look like me, who don't yet know Jesus. Maybe I'm not around enough people who don't currently belong that I couldn't even begin to think about who I would include at my table. Because if we're meant to live a life on mission, and we are because we have a God who was sent for us, who came for us to be hospitable to us, so who would I invite? Who would I include? Being reminded, especially in the holiday season where people can go to the to, to all ends to decorate, to, to create perfect experiences. You have whole TV shows and magazines devoted to the perfect holiday meal. The biblical hospitality, the reason that elders, one of the requirements is that they're hospitable is because it's not for those who are like us. It is to the ones who aren't. It's to the stranger. Right? That are you showing God's grace, his love, his mercy. By bringing in those who don't currently think, look, talk, act like you. Why would this be a biblical responsibility? Because we needed that. Church, we were all once enemies of the king. Enemies of God at war with him. And God demonstrated his love for us that he came for those who didn't currently know him, who didn't currently love him, who didn't currently want him. And he says, come and eat at my table. Come be a part of my family for all eternity. And you can't buy a seat. You can't earn a seat. And I'm going to let you do it through my life, my death, and my resurrection victory. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we were all once separated from God, that we were once far off, and we have been brought near and so a way that we remember this and the way that we reflect god's image is that we are pursuing hospitality that we are looking to draw people around our families and around our tables and it's not to impress them and it's not to entertain them it's to have a place to belong if we think about where we've been in in hebrews here lately and Jesus has been consistently called our high priest. And part of him being our high priest is that he knows and he understands. Right. That he, has, he can sympathize with our weakness. Because he too walked for 30 plus years being tempted yet without sin. That he gets it. Right. What does it look like to have someone around your table where you just you look and you say I see you. Right. You belong. There's a place for you here. Because Jesus has looked at us in our weakness and in our need and in our sin and says, "I see you, and I love you, and I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to bring you into the family." What happens when we do this? Is people begin to see what we what we can call a community apologetic. It's a community defense of the faith because the church is now living out the one another's right as we bring those who don't yet know Jesus into our church gathering into our gospel communities into our dinner tables they see the way we interact with one another they see the, the way that we suffer with one another they see the way that we pray for one another they see the way that we forgive one another they see these things and it is appealing because they're seeing you don't have to be perfect to be in this family but you can still belong you don't have to look like everyone else in this family. So a couple comments that have been made even in the last year here. Um, is there was a, a woman that came in uh, several months back on a Sunday morning. And I, I ran into her that week. And I've learned I can't trust y'all's faces on Sunday morning. Like from here, like your faces. I, like whether they're, it's good or bad, I, I'm just a horrible judge of that now. I've learned that. Okay. Um, and it's because most of you, I've, I've told you what I thought and then I've found out I was wrong. And so, but I would say on this morning, she just, she had her arms crossed and she just didn't look pleased to be here. And I'm like, well, this will be the last time, <laughs> right? And I ran into her that week and she comes up to me, she's like, man, hey, I loved being there Sunday. And I'm like, could have fooled me. <laughs> I think I actually said that. If I, um, and she's like, why? And I'm like, well, you just, you know, you, you, you just didn't look happy. And she goes, no, I was taking it in. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, listen, people were kind. They came and talked to me. That was fine. She's like, but it's not like I had 50 people come say hi to me. She's like, here's what I noticed. That everyone loved each other. And if they loved them, and I'm looking at some of the people in the room going, if they love them, then they can love me. And it's like, yes, like that's, that's what we want. Like you were a part of the Lord ministering to her that morning by loving other people. Right. That's what the Lord does is he draws us into community and he lets people see I can belong here. This could be my family and I didn't have to fool you. I don't have to lie. I don't have to pretend that I'm something else. I can be who I am and God will begin to transform me and I can belong. Right. And that's what our table does. Right. When you set someone at your table, when you feast with them, you're saying, I see you and I accept you. As you are. Because God has pursued us in the same way. Church, it also does one other thing it gives you a renewed sense of prayer. Because if you're honest, for some of you, you're already thinking about Thursday, or you're already thinking about Christmas, or you're already thinking about a a party, and you're thinking about the brokenness in your family, and you're thinking about broken relationships. And you're thinking about those who need reconciliation or who need restoration. And you're thinking about people I don't want to sit across the table from. Right? Or those that you hurt for. And it is a reminder that we aren't where we need to be. And that we need God to continue to do something in us. To restore us. To reconcile us. To make things right. Maybe it's as you, as you look at an empty chair this year. As you think about loss or death or separation... That reminder that this isn't how it's supposed to be. And there will be a day, Revelation 21 tells us, where every tear will be wiped away. Well, there will be no more pain or death or mourning or tears of sadness. But we will be reunited with our God around the banquet table. And we will celebrate forever. And that is what's most real. And so if this year hurts, if it's it's affecting you, right, it draws you into longing for Jesus. Thank you that you're making things right. Thank you that you are setting things in the way they're supposed to be. And I can hurt for a little while because this doesn't get the final say you do. Right. And so for some holidays are not with a smile on your face this year. And yet it still draws us into worship because it doesn't end this way. Right. And so now we're, we're, we're looking at those that we would rather not spend the holiday with. And we're praying, God, save them. God, reconcile us. God, what do I need to do to rightly reflect your image, to pursue you in the midst of this? Right. It draws us in to worship. And so we can be embittered, angry folk who make it through the holiday or we can begin to become worshipers. Right. Who deal with those who might even feel like our enemies at the moment because God pursued us when we were his enemies and has set things right. And the third thing is this is so that we, we can worship through feasting, we can worship through hospitality, and the one that maybe feels like you're setting it up on the tee, the easiest one is gift-giving, right? Because there's so much exchanging of things that takes place, whether it's at Thanksgiving, whether it's um, Christmas parties, whether it's Christmas itself. So what are we remembering here? That God was generous with us, right? It, it's, it's maybe the quintessential Bible verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the, the, the world that he gave his son... Right, God was generous with us and he gave us a gift that we did not deserve. That has not just given us Jesus, right? But Jesus has then given us peace and joy and hope and satisfaction. He's given us life eternally. He's taken away the fear of death. He's brought us into a family. He's given us a place of belonging. He's given us all the spiritual benefits and blessings, right? And you deserved none of it. I deserve none of it. It is the gift of all gifts that he has done. And in Revelation 4, it it talks about the 24 elders in in heaven. As they they begin to sing worship and praise to Jesus, they take off their crowns and they lay them at his feet. And church, there will be a day where based on the life that you have lived and the things that you have done, that you're going to have crowns and you're going to be able to lay them and give a gift to Jesus to say thank you that you were the gift that got me here. That you rescued me and so I will gladly lay down my life in anything that I accomplished by the grace of God to worship you. Right? It's not just the, the wise men who brought gifts to Jesus that we will get to lay down gifts before him. Right? That we give away our very lives. And so one reason that we give gifts, one reason that we seek to be generous during this time of year, right, is because we're trying to recreate something. For generations, the people of God waited for the Messiah. They anticipated and they hoped and they longed that the one who was going to set them right, the one who was going to rescue them is coming. And then after generations of waiting for two thousand, more more than two thousand years, then silence entered. And scripture stops in Malachi. And before we get to Matthew, four hundred years go by. Right. Longer than America has ever existed. 400 years goes by of just silence. There was a sense of anticipation of when is he coming? When is God going to step into history and do this thing? So church, most of you are way beyond maybe the anticipation of the holidays. But we are surrounded by some little people here. right? Whether they belong to you or not, they belong to this family. Who have that same sense of anticipation. That 25 plus days feels like an eternity. Right. And they're anticipating it and they're longing for it and they can't believe how long it's taking. What a clear picture to be able to begin to talk to them about, hey, you're not the first one to anticipate. And God has given an even better gift than anything that you'll find under the tree. And listen, this isn't a, like a Jesus, a juke and an awkward conversation. Right. It's the reason we celebrate a season and not just a day. Right. Because we could just say, OK, we wake up on Christmas Day, we do Christmas and we're done. But it's a season because we're trying to remember some things that have taken place. We're trying to check our hearts. Right. That God sent a gift. And so as we anticipate, as we give gifts, we get to check our heart. Do we believe, Acts twenty thirty five that it's better to give than to receive? Right. That's a great check on your heart. Right. Do you see Jesus as a gift? Right is gift giving for you simply a checklist to get it done? Because if it is, right, we're missing something. Right, we're, we're in some rote, meaningless rhythm that's not creating worship in us. Right, it, it's forcing us to consider the reasons why we do things. And even this, some of you are great gift givers. Why? Because you see people. As you see them, you know them, and then you find a gift that that like shows them that they were seen and known right is a reminder that god saw us he saw us far from him he saw us with no way back he saw us in despair he saw us hopeless and addicted and looking to make our way and with no chance of sitting at his table and then he saw our need and he met our need with a gift that fit perfectly in jesus Right. And so as we are generous, we are reflecting God's character, being generous as we see people and know people with our gifts. It's because we've been seen and know. Right. As we create anticipation, it's because we have anticipated our rescue. Right. As we think it's better to give than to receive. Right. It's because scripture has taught us this. And so here's here's where we're going to end. We're doing this not when December gets here and think the machine's already cranked up because some of you, the machines are already cranked up. But here we are, four days before Thanksgiving, saying for the next six weeks, we can fall right back into the same rhythms and wake up on Christmas morning or wake up on January 2nd going, I think we missed it again. Or we can begin to ask the Spirit to guide us. God, what does this look like for my family right now? What does it look like for us to feast and worship? What does it look like for us to be hospitable and on mission and worship you? What does this look like for me to be a gift giver or a gift receiver and worship you? Ask the Holy Spirit to guide so that we would rightly remember and rightly reflect His image. And in it, I think we're going to find more worship and more enjoyment because we're not being swept away by a cultural tide. We're not finding ourselves bitter and angry. In Psalm 9 it says that, God, I will recount your faithfulness. Would we find ourselves on Thanksgiving, the days between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the days after as we go into a new year and a fresh start, would we be recounting God's faithfulness this year? Listen, for some of you, his faithfulness has come in the midst of horrific circumstances. Sickness, loss, death. Right? For others, it has been through like, kindness of children, of relationships, of new jobs, of reconciliation of old relationships. right? But in all of those, the Lord has been near. He has been faithful. His presence has been gracious. And so some years are going to be better than others. But in all of them, we can make much of him during this season. So I want to encourage you to recount God's faithfulness. We should be doing this all the time, but like, let's lean into the next six weeks. How we do this as a church family? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna have opportunities in gospel community. Um, we're gonna move back into Hebrews next week. We just kind of wanted to set the tone for this season um, this morning um, before before all of this really gets rolling. And so I want to pray for us. Um, trusting that the spirit is going to be ministering in these moments maybe even already drawing areas where you need to reflect areas where you need to confess um maybe your thought right now is i don't even know what i would recount and so you just need to ask the lord show me what you've done give me eyes to see how you've been faithful to me because if your thought right now is he hasn't you're wrong okay you're wrong he has been more than you would even know if your list is really long. That he has been merciful and good to us. Let's pray. Father, would we be a people who enjoy you? God, thank you that you are near to us, that you minister to us. And, and Father, that for some of us, it has been tough sledding and yet you have been with us for others it has been glorious and you have been with us and others would simply say it's just been a year and yet you have been with us and moving in far more ways than we know god even this week would we not find ourselves with with cheap platitudes on thanksgiving days of things that we're thankful for but would we find our hearts stirred with affection for the giver of all good gifts which is you And how you have sustained and ministered and healed and worked and provided and known and seen and been with us. God, would we find ourselves fighting the tension of being angry at the season or just giving in and doing what everyone else does? Would we live in that harder place of being worshipers, of trusting you? God, would you give us eyes to see those that we can draw in? And Father, would we not think it's because we're so good, but because you are. Jesus, we need you, and we're asking you to speak. Would you reveal what you would have for us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.